Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you're subscribed, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. On this episode, Harry Walker will be looking at Matthew 24 and showing us what Jesus tells us about his return. Let's get to it. Good evening, everyone. I do want to thank Pastor Craig for the great introduction, and I thank Pastor Tom for allowing me to come back. It's been many, many years since I've came and taught from this pulpit, but it's always a good time. We are living in exciting times. Not only are we living in exciting times, we are living right now in an exciting time of the year. We have Palm Sunday coming up. We have Good Friday coming up. But don't worry about Good Friday because Sunday is coming. Amen? Resurrection Sunday is right around the corner too. So before we get started, let's bow and pray. Amen? Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this time that you have allowed us to open it, study it for your return to redeem what is yours. Tonight, we ask that you would glorify us, that we may glorify you. Father, thank you for your son his gospel message, that we have placed our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray also for the protection of your people Israel. Lord, bless them with abundance and let them recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. Help them to fervently seek the truth, protect the remnant, and send them provision for each and every need. Lord, tonight bless me as I proclaim your truth boldly. And may it be received with understanding and joy. And Father, as we anxiously await your Son from heaven, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's message I have titled, Jesus Tells Us About His Return. And we're going to be looking at several scriptures, but the main body of the scripture is going to be Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. So how many of you believe that we are in the last days? Oh yeah. While you're at it, wave to everybody online because we'd like to thank them for tuning in and being such great supporters for us. You know, better than any word that I can think of in our language today is change. I mean, how many of us really like change? But I think of all the change that we have seen in our lives. I mean, a lot of us, we want the same parking spot. We want the same seat let alone things that are happening in the world that change. I think of that a lot. You know, we can't stop the change in our life either. If you want to hear God laugh, just try to map out your world. Okay? Because He'll take care of it for you. Believe me, He surely will. So I thought tonight we'd start and take a look at two profound things that changes our world. And the very first thing I thought that I'd talk about is, let's look at the population. The explosion of the population. Take a look. If you looked at it in 1850, the world's population was about 1 billion people. And in 1930, just 80 years later, the population doubled. 30 years later after that, in 1960, the population reached 3 billion. And today, the world's population is 7.7 billion. So in 170 years, a lot of change happened, like seven times the population in just 170 years. The very next thing we could take a look at is speed, speed. In the 1800s, about 20 miles an hour on a fast galloping horse. Think about it. Uh, 
then take a look at 1934, the Zephyr train set a land speed record for 112 miles an hour. And today, we've got space rockets that go 16,000 miles per hour. Think of the change, the change. I haven't even mentioned at all the advancements of technology, uh, the advancements of military weapons. Think of that. From hand-to-hand -hand combat to bows and arrows to single-shot rifles to now WMDs that we have that can destroy the world. Think of the transportation, the luxury items, the personal conven uh, conveniences along with the computers. Think about the first computer. It would have took up this whole room. And now we carry it in our pocket. Phones. Remember phones? Rotary dials, party lines. I remember that. Has anyone seen a payphone lately? No. Of course, we do know that God is still in charge. He's in control, and he's fully aware of everything that is happening in our world. He's fully aware of it. Now, we can ask the question, why has God allowed this radical change and reshaping of our human history? And we don't know really for sure, but we can, can reasonably surmise that God is up to something. He's up to something. And I believe that all these signs in this change that we have experienced, even in our own lifetime, is the predicting of Jesus Christ soon return and the fulfillment of prophecy. The great evangelist Billy Sunday, almost 100 years ago, said this. Now remember, this is almost 100 years ago. There never has been a time in history when the world seemed topsy-turvy and on the verge of toppling into hell as it does today. Can you imagine what he would be saying today? Yeah. Yeah. So in Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51, we find the parable of the master and a servant. In verse 50, what it is saying there is, Jesus talking, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he's not aware of. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like something else that we're looking for, huh? Jesus Christ. Exactly. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 46, Jesus gives us three more parables. He gives us the first parable of bridesmaids. Remember the five bridesmaids that were wise and the five bridesmaids that weren't so wise? You see, the five bridesmaids that weren't so wise when the bridegroom came, they had no oil for their lamp. And they had to run out and go get it. And by the time they had got it and went looking for the groom, where was he? He was gone. He was gone. But the five that were prepared, they met the bridegroom. Then we find the, the parable of the three servants who were given talents, vir virtually money. One servant received five talents. One servant received two talents, and one received the one. And remember the first two, the ones that got the five and the two, they went out and they doubled what had been given to them by the master. They had put use to their gifts. But the one who buried his talent received nothing extra for what he had done, not even interest. And really what that parable is telling us, the, the tragedy of a missed opportunity by that one who buried his talent. I would venture to say 
not only I, but everyone in this room at one time or another has missed an opportunity. An opportunity. The opportunity that I hope you're not missing is giving your life to Jesus Christ. Really think about that. Really think. Another pa- uh, parable that Jesus gives us is the final judgment, talking about the sheep and the goats. Here Jesus uses sheep and goats for us to be able to see the divide between believers and unbelievers. Just as sheep and goats graze together in the fields, so do believers and unbelievers. I would venture to say that each and every one of us have family members that are unsaved. We have friends that are unsaved, but we still graze with them, don't we? We still graze with them. We're in the world, but what? We're not of it. Amen. Amen. And in verses 31 through 34 of Matthew 35, we find the Son of Man. Son of Man. Jesus is referred to in the New Testament 82 times as the Son of Man. 82 times. And here we find that he's dividing the sheep to his right hand and the goats to his left. Those on Jesus' right hand, Jesus says, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. The bottom line is really this, that when Jesus comes again, he is coming quickly. Bible tells us that. He is coming quickly. Jesus promised us four times in the book of Revelation that he is coming quickly. He is coming quickly. He does not lie. If he says he's coming quickly, believe me, he is coming quickly. You know, I cannot tell you how many times when I witness to people or I'm teaching, people have asked me, what about this phrase, Harry, of coming quickly? It's been 2,000 years. Is that really coming quickly? And I say, you know what? That's a good question. It's a good question to us. Because to us, 2,000 years is a long time. It really is. It's a long time. But what we have to remember is what Peter told us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He said this, With the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a one day so you see in God's economy he's looking at two days he's looking at two days you see God does not have a regard for the watch or the phone that we use to tell time because you see God has his own timetable he really could care less about ours he has his own So the phrase coming quickly means exactly what it says. When Jesus comes, he will come quickly. Think of it this way. The mothers that are here and the mothers that are watching, they're going to understand this because Jesus' coming has been compared with birth pains of a pregnant woman, correct? Yeah. And we all know before the time of delivery, the birth pains begin... And then hours before, then, as time gets closer and closer, the pains become more and more frequent. And then at the time of birth, wow, out pops Junior right in the doctor's hands. That's coming quickly. We're experiencing 
the birth pains, but Jesus will come quickly, just like that baby. And that's what we have to understand. You see, at Jesus' second coming, it will be so quick and so sudden that there'll be no last-minute repentance or bargaining, just as the foolish bridesmaids found out. There'll be no time. It'll be over. You see, our choice to accept or reject our Lord and Savior will already have been made. And that is what will determine our eternal destiny. So now the question is this. What are we believers to do while we wait for Jesus' return? Jesus gives us the answer. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, he says this. Watch. Watch. Therefore, for you do not know the hour for your Lord is coming. And then Jesus continues to answer the question in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, saying this. Therefore, also be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So he tells us two things. Watch and be ready. But watch and be ready for what? The season of the end times. The Lord's return. We may not know the hour or the day, but we can know the season. The season we can know. You see, that's where Bible prophecy comes in. It is so important. It's so important. You know, today many pastors do not preach any or teach any on Bible prophecy. Believe it or not. Thank God that we have a pastor in Pastor Tom Hughes that is on fire for that. Amen. Many people are going around saying this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And you know, I use hell as a location, not a curse word. But those that are saying that, they're afraid, they're scared, they're bewildered because they don't understand what is happening in the world around them. Why? Because they don't know prophecy. They don't know it. They don't know it at all. They don't have any hope of eternal life. None whatsoever. Jan Markell. Pastor Craig mentioned her. She's going to be at our prophecy conference at the end of June. Wonderful woman. Knows prophecy. Jan Markell says this. This is what Jan says. The world is not falling into pieces. The pieces are falling into place. No truer statement has been said. And why is Bible prophecy so important? Because almost a third, almost a third of this Bible is about Bible prophecy. You don't like Bible prophecy? Then I tell you what, pick a third of the pages, tear them out, throw them away. Think about it. Think about it. A third. If it's important to God, it should be important to us. It should be important to us. We should know Bible prophecy. But I guess before we really know it, what is Bible prophecy? Well, really the short and sweet de definition is this. It is God's eye view as he is looking down, giving you and I information of what's going on in our world. That's what Bible prophecy is. In other words, we don't have to experience end times to know what they are. We're told what they are. 
So with that, are you ready for some reasons why we know we are living in the season of the Lord's return? Okay, well, let's take a look at four. See if I can get through them. Reason number one, attacks on Jesus in the Bible. Yeah. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So here what we find is this, that God is angry at sinful people. Why? Because these people have substituted the truth about God with a lie. A matter of fact, Paul goes a little farther to explain it in verse 25 saying, They have exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the, cre the creature rather than the creator. Do we see that happening today? Oh yeah, you betcha. In other words, people of verse 18 in Romans 1 have suppressed the truth that God reveals to us in order to believe anything that supports their own lifestyle. That's what they've done. Basically, what they're doing is doing everything they can to justify their own actions. That's what they're doing. Uh, these are the ones that always blame someone else. What's new in the zoo? Huh? Nothing. Nothing's new. Eve blamed the servant. And who did Adam believe? blame? The woman. And we still do it, don't we? Men. And all the women said, amen. Yeah. And then there are some that use Satan's old trick who twisting the scriptures around, making them fit his purpose. Yeah, as he did with Jesus in the wilderness, remember? And then there are those of the yeah, but crowd. Yeah, but. Yeah, you know that those that say yeah, but, what they're really saying is forget everything I just said because now I got this to say. So listen to this. That's what it is. The bottom line here is God is showing his anger against those who persist in sinning. Persist. Someone may be saying, Harry, I sin every day. Is God going to show his anger towards me? Well, I'm glad that I'm not the only one in this room that sins every day. Amen? Yeah. Let me encourage you with this word persist. Persist means to refuse to give up or to continue. So, yeah, we all sin every day. We, we, and we fall short of the glory of God every day. However, when we knowingly refuse to give up and continue the same sin over and over again without really a meaningful, heartfelt forgiveness, you see, that's where the problem lies with God. We sin. But if you're sinning and you say, ah, I'm a Christian, I'll ask for forgiveness, and you don't have that pain right here, you might check your salvation hat. might just check it. should have that little pain that says, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because we need to repent, don't we? We need to turn away from sin. And then we need to flee from sin. We need to flee from it. Reason number two. Denial of the second coming. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, and then uh, 4a says this, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. 4a continues saying this, Where is the promise of his coming? Scoffers are going to be saying. In other words, 
what's going on. Where is your Jesus? It's been 2,000 years. Jesus has taken so long, he's never going to fulfill it. That's what they're saying. He promised. And what we need to remember is this. And we need to realize here that when Jesus first came to earth, that's when history began its last and its final stage. The final stage is called the age of grace. When God's mercy and salvation came to the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, someday, and with every passing day, we're one day closer to the return of Jesus to earth and, as, and the earth as we know it today. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, the earth is going to pass away. So as we wait for Jesus to return, let's beware that scoffers are going to come and others will also ridicule the return of Jesus Christ. What they're doing is they're going to make a joke out of it where we all laugh. They're good at that. They'll make light of his return. And I said this a couple of weeks ago and somebody said, I hadn't heard that in a long time, Harry. There are killjoys. There are killjoys. However, the issue is that these naysayers don't really realize Jesus has his reasons to wait. And Peter gives us those reasons. Here's the reasons why. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. In other words, he's not waiting, and he's waiting, but, but he's not slack about it. He hasn't forgot it. As some count slackness, but it is long-suffering toward us. Why? So not, so not willing that any should perish, but that they should come to a repentance. You see, our God is faithful and he's just. He doesn't have, well, this crowd's okay, but this crowd's not. He's faithful and just to all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he's wanting us to do. That's what he's wanting us to do. The bottom line is God is patient with us. He is slow to judge. He is slow to condemn. Why is God so slow? I get to ask that a lot. Because God loves and cares for us despite of our sin. This is the very reason why God sent his son Jesus the first time to save us, to be our sacrificial lamb. Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross and then we put, place our trust and our belief in him. Just think, not only did God patiently suffer a long time with us, I don't know about you guys, but he waited a long time for me. Too long. He's waiting for more people because Scripture says about God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God is waiting for all to accept Him as their Lord and Savior. It's their choice. It's your choice. It's called free will. So each and every day we need to obey God's Word to watch and to be ready. The solution to watch every day and to be prepared at any moment for his return. Because no one knows the day or the hour. Reason number three. 
the explosion of cults and false promise, pr prophets. Jesus warns us, saying in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Many. Let me tell you, did I get a shock? I was thinking, well, I could think of about two dozen cults just off the top of my head. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to Google it. So I Googled cults in America. Well, let me tell you something. What a shock. 2,500 Google popped up with. Just in America, 2,500. So what is a cult? Well, usually it has a self-appointed leader. Then I went over on crossexamine.org and I looked up some of Frank's definitions of cults. And a couple of them were being this. He said this, leaving the so-called church is difficult and may be met with threats. We kinda, that's kind of close to home, isn't it? Electric fences, razor wire over the top. Yeah. yeah. Or how about this? Members are required to follow harsh and legalistic rules. Do you know that every religion other than true Christianity requires some type of work or deed for salvation? Everyone. However, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works unless anyone should boast. Makes it very clear. Makes it very clear. In other words, it is our faith in Jesus Christ, not our works. Our salvation is our gift of God. Jesus did not work on the Jesus did the work on the cross so we could have rest in him. He did it for us. Did it for us. Let's take a look at false prophets. Again, nothing new in the zoo. The Old Testament is full of it. They the Old Testament mentions false prophets in 2 Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Zechariah. So what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who claims to receive messages from God. So how do we recognize a false prophet? Again, Scripture. God gives us the answer. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22 Moses said in the NLT, if the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. If it doesn't happen, not a prophet. Sorry. The short and sweet is if the thing does not happen, God had nothing to do with it. And I believe this, you know why? Because our God is not a God of failure. He does not make mistakes. If he tells you something, it's not the wrong answer. So don't run and hide when you hear of false prophets. They were in Jesus' day. They're in our day today. We should be able to recognize them and expect them. What else do false prophets do? They're the ones that tell us to do whatever our desire is. Like there's no such thing as sin or hell. Now I know that sin and hell is not popular topics. But they were popular here. Jesus had no problem talking about it. Neither should we, popular or unpopular. Paul warns this, or actually warned Timothy then and us today in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and let me just paraphrase it for you. For the time will come 
when they, they the people, you and I, others that we know, will not endure sound doctrine because they have itchy ears. You know, we, we want that little tingling. We need that light, soft, fuzzy feeling. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And we've all seen this on today. Look at some Christian TV. You know those get rich schemes? Give me a thousand, give me a hundred, I'll give you a thousand. It's like, well, now wait a minute. Can God do that? Sure, He could. Sure, God could do that. However, our hope and trust is in Jesus Christ and His words, not the words of a man. Reason number four the calling evil good and the good evil. Oh, man. I saved the best for last, didn't I? Yeah. In chapter 5 of Isaiah, we find six times in Scripture where the prophet begins each verse with the word woe, W-O-E, woe. And the word woe in Hebrew and Greek are very close to the very same definition. Very close. Virtually meaning the very same thing. It's an expression of grief or righteous anger, condemnation or the wrath of God. The point is that this word woe, W-O-E, should not be taken lightly. It is a very powerful word, and it comes with major consequences. Major consequences. The prophet Isaiah gives us the fourth woe in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, where he writes this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who puts darkness for light and light for darkness, who puts bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Swapping it all around. When I read that verse, I always think of the great old-time preacher from Memphis, Tennessee, Adrian Rogers. Great man, great man. And Adrian Rogers said this, the world is growing gloriously dark. What Pastor Rogers was saying with that statement was, that all the things that Jesus was telling the disciples and us today in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, the last days are going to increase in frequency. Remember, birth pains. Birth pains. So what does this really mean to us today? Well, Paul again tells us exactly what evil the world will turn good and what good is evil. In 2 Timothy... Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, verse 1 comes with a warning. Here's the warning. But know this, that in the last days, perilous, meaning risky or dangerous times, perilous times will come. And here comes the actions. And as we go through these actions, ask yourselves, how many of these are now considered good? Verse 2. For men will become lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Yeah, everybody, you know, the guy with the biggest house on the end of the block. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, uh, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
And five closes with this. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then here comes what we should be doing, the solution. And from such people turn away. So in other words, drop them like a bad habit. They get you nowhere. I believe that all of us in this room and that are watching can see that all the evil that Paul has mentioned in those four verses, they're now being recognized as good in the world today. Put up on a pedestal. Advertised as the biggest and the greatest. And it's coming with an increased frequency. Birth pains coming closer and closer. Coming closer. What we as Christians have to realize is that many people are saying, so what? So what? I should be able to do whatever I want to do. What's the problem? What's the problem? We've all heard it. We've talked to people and they say, hey, look, it's no big deal. What's the problem? Well, here's the problem. When people see no distinction between good and evil, destruction soon follows. You see, it's easy for people to say, no one can decide for me. For anyone else, you know, really, is that really right? Is that really wrong? You know, many believe that they can control being intoxicated. Many believe that they can control getting high. Uh, many believe they can control extramarital sex. Because is it really wrong? Who's it really hurting? That's what they say. Well, here's the thing. When these people make these excuses for their actions, they break down the distinction between right and wrong. They break it down. However, when people use God's word as their standard and example, their actions are not fuzzy. There is direction. There is direction. I've often said, your prayer life, None of us in this room have a perfect prayer life. None of us. I will tell you this. Do your best to continue to develop one. Pray. I will tell you this. If you do not pray for the decision you're about to make, here's the guarantee I will give you. You will pray for the disaster that is going to come. So yes, this world is growing darker, just as what has been said. But it's glorious because we have the promise that Jesus Christ is coming soon. As Billy Graham said, I have read the last page of the Bible and it's going to turn out all right. Well, it's true. It's old, but it's true. So because we know how the Bible ends, we should always be looking for the blessed hope, the return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a friend of mine that always signs his letters, keep looking up. It's true. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. We have got to live our lives as looking for the glorious appearing of the Lord that could come tonight. Good. Good. So that brings us to the question, what is our job as we wait for the Lord's return? Because we do have one. 
Remember the story in Luke when Jesus was 12 years old? And he went with his parents to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. And when the Feast of Passover was over, the Bible says that Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and, his, and, and Jesus' mother did not know it. They left. And after about a day's journey, they finally realized, like, hey, where's Jesus? So they went around to their friends and their relatives, you know, in this crowd that was leaving, and nobody had seen Jesus. So they said, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe he's back at Jerusalem. So they turn around and they go back to Jerusalem. They spend three days looking for him. They find three days. He's 12 years old. When they return to Jerusalem after the three days, where they find Jesus? Sitting in the temple. And what was he doing? He was asking teachers their questions. And this is a part that I always love. The Bible says this, And all that heard him, being Jesus, were astonished at his understanding of the answers. My goodness gracious, he wrote the test. He wrote the test. He knew the answers before it was even asked. Come on. All through the Bible we see they marveled at Jesus when he was talking with them. They marveled. Yeah, it's all over the place. Anyway, the Bible goes on and, and tells us that when Joseph and Mary and his mother Mary found Jesus, they were frantic. And they were worried. They were even upset. I remember when I didn't come home on time. I'm sure that my parents were upset. They were frantic. Like, what has he got himself into now? You know? You know what I'm saying? And then when they find him there, this is what they ask. They ask Jesus this. Why have you done this to me? Now, can you imagine this Jewish mother, the tone that she had? Right? Oh, yeah. Why have you done this to me? Like, this is the worst thing in the world that could have happened to me. I know, like I said, when my parents, I'm sure they were all worried about it, but as soon as I got home, they could have took me by the neck. Right? And here's what Jesus replied. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did you not know? Should have. Now that brings us to the question. What is our job as we wait for the Lord's return? How many said, how many of you said, we need to be about our Heavenly Father's business? Amen. Amen. How do we go about doing that? Well, let's see. Scripture tells us. Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We win people to Christ. We win people to Christ. That's part of it. Verse 12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, should, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Uh, in other words, we need to be discipling people with God's word and our actions. Ooh, that hurt. It's easy to go to God's word, isn't it? But how about our actions? Are we living that way? Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of, appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So we are to win, 
disciple by teaching and send others out with the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's, isn't that 412's mission statement? Win, disciple, and send. Yes, it is. You see, there was a good reason why God doesn't take us home the minute we accept him as our Lord and Savior. Have you ever thought of that? You know, hey, I'm saved. Take me now, God. No, I got plans for you. How are you going to spend your talents? Ooh. You going to double them or are you going to bury them? Your choice. Your choice. You see, after our living being saved, it's made bearable because we're able to live for God, seeking to build his kingdom through him with whatever gifts he has given us. And believe me, if you are saved, you have at least one gift. How are you using it? How are you using it? In Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 33, we find Jesus has taken the disciples aside. And he's told them they would be going to Jerusalem and that all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. What's he saying? Jesus is saying this that he would be delivered to the Gentiles and mocked, insulted, spit upon, scourged, and then killed. However, Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Resurrection Sunday is coming. Third day, he, Jesus will rise again. So let's pick up on what happens on the way to Jerusalem. Just outside Jericho, in verses 35 through 43 of Luke 18, there was a blind man who was sitting on the side of the roadway. And what was he doing? He was begging, remember? You see, there was, there was a, no medical help back in those days, nor was there really much hope for him escaping the lifestyle that he was accustomed to. And this blind man hears a commotion of people passing by, and he asks, what's going on here? What's going on? And those close to him say, hey, that guy from Jesus, named Jesus from Nazareth, he's passing by. And verse 38 tells us this. The blind man cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Man. And what does this blind man call Jesus? Son of David. Son of David. Because why? He realizes that the son of man is a title for the coming Messiah found in the prophets of the Old Testament. This blind man had heard the scriptures being taught. And in verse 41, Jesus answers the blind man, asking, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what, Jesus didn't know that? I think Jesus knew what he wanted. Jesus knows what you and I want too. But he wants us to ask. He wants us to ask and build a relationship with him. He wants us to ask. And the blind man answers, Lord, right away. He recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord. He says, I want to see. I want to see. You know what I also find amazing in that scripture? This blind man, he's not greedy. 
not greedy. He doesn't say, I want to see. Oh, by the way, I want a new house. I want a job that goes with that. I want a bunch of money and the best-looking woman in town for a wife. And a whole brood of kids. No. Well, can we be guilty of that? Or is it just me up here? Because my feet's on fire. No, he's not, he's not greedy. I want to see. And Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Wow. Wow. You see, the point is that that poor, blind beggar, he could see that Jesus was the Messiah. While all those religious leaders who saw all those miracles and everything that Jesus did, they refused to see him as the Messiah. While the religious leaders saw all of that, they refused. So, folks, let me just make this perfectly clear. Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back very soon. He will return to earth just as he promised. No matter what the agnostics say, no matter what the atheists say, no matter what the unbelievers say, no matter what the mockers say, of this earth say it all, Jesus Christ will return to this earth as Lord God, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's how he's going to return. So I have a question for you tonight. When Jesus returns, will you have the confidence and not be ashamed before him? Only you know. You see, the greatest gift that Jesus gives to you and me is the salvation and our gift of eternal life. It's then our identity is changed from a son or a daughter of our earthly father and mother to being a child of God. And that's what we all want. We want to be a child of God. We want that salvation. We want that salvation and that hope of eternal life with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So even so, come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I just again give you thanks. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises because I know that you will keep and fulfill each and every one of your promises. So Lord, I praise you and I thank you for that. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, Lord, I would just ask you just your Holy Spirit, to convict their heart right now to say, Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And I accept you with all my faith and all my belief. Don't wait. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. And he's coming quickly. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. 
On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.